0: He is. Uh, So welcome here. I know you've been welcomed already. And uh, it is a really good weekend to be here. Uh, We've been talking. A couple people have mentioned that it's Thanksgiving. And for some of us, it is hard to find things to be grateful, thankful for. Uh, And it's also, maybe you feel this way too. You know, it's Thanksgiving weekend. And there's things you're thinking about that you're grateful for. But you're also aware of some of the things going on in other parts of the world where there's lots of... Uh, violence and threats of warfare. In some places there is warfare, and so it feels kind of weird to be grateful. Um, And I just encourage you, you know, thank God for for where we live and the fact that we can gather this morning without fear and just praise Jesus, Um, but also pray for, for people who are living in places where they just can't do that. And so um, we try to incorporate that into our our time together as we worship. We try to incorporate times of praying for people in different places of the world. And I just encourage you to incorporate that into your life, uh, just as you wake up each day and spend time thinking about God, talking to him, uh, talk to him about some of the things that you see going on in other places uh, around the world. Our prayers really do make a difference. uh, We're going to talk this morning so that our theme is that God is judge. That's everybody's favorite topic, right, at church? You want to talk about judgment? Yeah? Okay. So I want to make sure that was actually our our, our favorite topic. So uh, we're going to be talking today about how God is judge. Uh, This morning, so I'm on a reading plan. I don't know how many people have actually, I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands, uh, but back in January, I encouraged us to start a reading plan together called the Bible Recap. And so if you started that back in January, then you've read every day, uh, and there's a little recap that goes along with it. And then the in, am I good? Oh. in uh, by the end of December, we'll have read the entire Bible. And so today, the, uh, we only had one chapter to read today for that Bible reading plan. And I wasn't planning to share anything uh, from this, but it was, just, it was in line with what I'm going to share this morning. I just want to read one verse. It won't be on the screen. But in John chapter 5... Uh, it, Jesus talks about how he is the judge. And I just thought it was really significant. I was reading that this morning for my devotional reading, but it's the topic of what we're going to be talking about in the sermon today. And so in John chapter 5, verse 22, it says, The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And so... Uh we're, we're talking about today that uh, God is judge. And Andrew, I'm just going to get you to put the first slide up. And I just, I wanna, I'm kind of curious if anybody knows who this is. Anybody know by looking at him who this is? I'm going to just talk about him for a minute and then uh, see if anybody recognizes who I'm talking about. So this, this man, uh, in 1966, he was falsely accused of murder. Nope, not Nelson Mandela. We're getting, but that's good. I'm, I, I like the. So if you if you think about who it is, you can tell me. So he was famously falsely accused of murder. He was a middleweight boxer, and he was there. We go. Yeah, say it again. Hurricane Reuben Carter. So uh, Robin the Hurricane Carter is his name, and he was falsely accused back in 1966, and then he was sentenced in 1967. And it was a, he was sentenced for a really bloody triple homicide. And he spent 20 years in prison for a crime that he didn't commit. And while he was in prison, he, he actually, uh, one of the things that he talked about in his court case, and then in his, when he appealed uh, his, his sentencing, he was a, a civil rights activist, he was a boxer, and he was a black man in America, and he he believed that those were some of the main reasons that he was falsely accused. And so he spent 20 years in prison. And then at the end of those 20 years, uh, there's a whole story about somebody that advocated for him, and he was proven innocent. And so you might remember there was a, a movie that came out with Denzel Washington called The Hurricane a few years ago. I think it was the early 2000s. Um, Bob Dylan wrote a song about it. And I remember... Uh, When I watched the movie for the first time and I put myself in this man's shoes and I I was thinking about when when this guy got out of prison, he, he actually started to advocate for people who were also falsely accused. And he had this, he had a good attitude about the way that he went about that. And I remember putting myself in his shoes and I was like, I don't know if I could get over how angry that I would be that I had been falsely accused and spent 20 years of my life in prison. A lot of people believed he would have been the number one boxer in the whole world if he'd have been able to continue his, his career, but because of his false accusation, 20 years in prison, he lost all of that, uh, all because he was falsely accused by judge and jury and the whole bit. Uh, and the reason I want to open with that is because there is this, there's this attitude that goes something like this in our, in our world, and maybe, maybe you have this, right? Uh, But the attitude goes like this. Don't tell me what to do. Nobody can judge me. And we just kind of want to live our lives however we want. And one of the things that scripture is very clear on is that God is actually perfect in his judgment. So part of the, the, the reason we have this attitude of don't judge me is because there's all kinds of cases like this where we've We've actually seen people that have been falsely accused, and we've seen a legal system that doesn't get things right a lot of the time. There there are lots of times where the legal system does get things right, but there's lots of examples where our legal system gets things totally wrong. And you've got people like uh, Robin Carter, the hurricane, who spend a huge chunk of their lives in prison, and some people have actually spent the rest of their lives in prison or faced the death penalty And they've been falsely accused. And so we've got this idea that, you know, uh, nobody can judge me because we've seen really messed up examples of where judgment has gone wrong, right? And so we've got this idea, I'm just going to live life how I want, nobody can tell me anything. But one of the things, if if you're, this morning, maybe you're here and you believe in God, you know God is perfect. We're doing this whole series about God is, you know, God, he is perfect, he is true, he is righteous, he is just, he never gets anything wrong. And one of the things that Scripture is clear on is that when God passes judgment, there, there's, no, there's no time for appeal because God actually sees the whole story. And that's the big difference. So the, the judge that falsely accused the hurricane, uh, he got things wrong. He didn't see the whole picture. But the difference in, in our case, when we stand before God, when the world stands before God, God actually never gets anything wrong. And we're going to be looking uh, in Acts chapter 17 today, and this is one of my favorite passages of, of Scripture. And I'm going to read the whole thing in, uh, in the ESV translation, but I'm also going to read a little bit from the, the message translation uh, so that you can kind of get a bit of an interpretation on what's going on. But in this section of Scripture that we're going to look at today, Paul, he's in a city called Athens, and Athens is one of the most famous cities in the ancient world because of the Greek philosophers, you're, you're all familiar with names like Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. Um, one of my memories—I remember when I was in university—I uh, went to school with this girl that was uh, she was French-speaking, and so we were learning about all the philosophers. And uh, she, Socrates, she called him Socrates, and uh, Plato, was, uh, Plato was Plato was Plato. And uh, it was so funny because she was talking and she was getting really passionate and she kept talking about Socrates. I'm like, who's Socrates, right? And then I'm like, oh, Socrates. <laughs> That's who it, anyway, so you've probably all heard of, of these names and maybe you've, you've not said them right or whatever, but um, Socrates and, and uh, his, his contemporaries, they were famous for being these brilliant philosophers in a place called Athens. And Paul, where we're going to jump in on the story, Paul is in Athens. But it's about 500 years after Socrates and Aristotle and, and Plato. And, and this section of scripture, and, and if you want to go do deeper study, because you love doing that and, and geeking out on the scripture, I encourage you to do that. But the way that this, is, this story is told, the, the writer, who's Luke, he's actually comparing Paul to Socrates. Okay? And so Socrates, famously, in around 500 BC, somewhere in that time frame, Socrates was killed because he introduced new gods to the people, and people just couldn't accept it. Okay? He had these new ideas, these new concepts, and he was killed for it, famously. Okay? And then his, uh, his contemporaries and his followers made that famous, and, and Socrates ended up being a hero in people's eyes. Uh, but what's interesting is Paul, what we're going to see here, Paul actually does the same thing 500 years later that Socrates did, because he's introducing to these people, who believe in a pantheon of gods? He's introducing to them a new god, okay. Uh, and he's talking about Yahweh, the creator of the universe. and And five hundred years before Socrates was killed for this very same thing, and the way that Paul is talked about in this passage of scripture, there is a whole bunch of parallels between him and Socrates, which is really interesting. And the people, okay, so this this crowd that we're going to uh, see Paul talking to, they they worship the pantheon of Greek gods. So people like. Athena and Apollo and Zeus, you've heard all those names. Those, those are the gods that the people in Athens worshipped. And Paul, he comes into Athens and he sees you know, all these monuments that have been erected to these, these gods. And, and the scriptures, and we'll, we'll get into this, Paul has this like, physical, visceral reaction where he's, like, he's deeply bothered by the fact that these people are worshipping these, these false gods and he, he responds to it. And it's interesting, in his, in his speech, in this passage of Scripture we're going to read, Paul doesn't even refer to Scripture. He doesn't pull out his Bible and say, hey, you guys are wrong because of this, this, and this, and this. He actually refers to creation, and he points out that God, the creator of the universe, Yahweh, is the real and true God. And it's, and it's Really interesting, because Paul has been totally shaped by Scripture, but he realizes he's talking to this whole group of people that have no idea of what the Scriptures teach and what the Bible is, so he appeals to to nature and to reason and to logic, and he even quotes some of their uh, popular poets that all the people knew about. So he he, he refers to different uh, things than what maybe you're used to, but what he's doing is he's pointing them to Jesus. And, and Paul, his whole point too, by the way, and you'll see it in, in what he says, he wants them to know that God has actually chosen Jesus, that Jesus is also God, but that that is proven because of Jesus' death and resurrection. Okay, so just kind of have that in your mind as we, as we read this. Uh, it's a powerful passage of scripture. So it's Acts chapter 17, we're going to start in verse, verse 16. You can, if you want to follow along, um on the screen you can, or if you want to open a Bible and follow along that way. I'm just going to pray before we read it. Lord, I just want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for how you actually reveal yourself to us in your word. And the topic today we're talking about is not an easy topic, thinking about you as judge. But it's also an incredible topic because the fact that you are the judge and no one else is comforting because as we learned last week, you are compassionate and gracious and merciful and loving and faithful. And you see the whole picture unlike any other judge that's ever been seen before. You, you see everything. And so, Lord, thank you for that. And I pray, Lord, that we'd be comforted to know that you are the judge, but we'd also have a healthy fear that when we do... Uh, it, have a, a conviction or our conscience uh, tries to tell us we're doing something wrong, help us to listen to that. Help us to listen to what you're saying and to come to you uh, and, and to seek you for forgiveness and for, and for peace and for justification. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. So Acts chapter 17, we'll start in verse 16. It's a pretty cool story. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols so we'll, we'll get back to that but he's provoked okay he looks around he sees all these idols and he's just deeply bothered so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who had happened to be there some of the epicurean and stoic philosophers also conversed with him and some said what does this babbler wish to say others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And so that's kind of a comparison. So 500 years before, Socrates was killed for preaching about a different idea of God. And here's Paul 500 years later. And to these people that hadn't heard about Yahweh, they don't know the scriptures, they're going, he's, he's preaching a foreign divinity, this foreign idea of God. Verse 19, and they took him and they brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So it's like, I just get this picture when I read that. These these were a group of people that had an endless cup of coffee. Okay, so the coffee just never, ever ended. And all they did was sit around and talk about new ideas. Okay? They weren't interested on, in, in acting on those ideas or doing anything about it. They weren't interested in life change. They weren't interested in accountability to God. They just loved talking about new ideas and having their minds stimulated. You ever met someone like that? Where it's like they just maybe love to talk and hear things, but it doesn't ever have any impact on their lives? Right? Maybe, maybe you're like, oh, that's been me in times. Okay? Maybe you relate with the Athenians, okay? the Athenians. Verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus... And, and by the way, the Areopagus was this place, it was, it was called the, the Hill of Ares. So the Greek god of war, Ares, um, this is where they brought Paul to, to the Areopagus to have this discussion with all these philosophers and all these people. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown god. and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. So what Paul's doing here is brilliant. He, he's like walking amongst all these, these false idols and gods. And, and he finds one that says, to an unknown god. And by the way, archaeology has actually discovered truth to what the scriptures talk about here, that there's, there's been altars to unknown gods that, that have been found and dug up over the centuries. And so Paul's walking through, and he's just grieved. He sees all these, these false gods, and, and what's grieving him is he's going, people are actually worshiping something false, but they were created to worship the true God. And then he sees this inscription to an unknown God, and Paul goes, here's my chance. I'll talk about that because I'll tell them who that God actually is, right? And so he, he takes this opportunity, uh, and then he starts quoting their own uh, poets. So verse 28, uh, I'll, I'll read just the, the sentence before that. Yeah, he's actually not far from each of us. And then verse 28, For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. And we're going to make a couple of cultural references today. Uh, I want to point out some things that are popular in our culture, that show up in, in TV, uh, TV shows and music. Because I, I'm convinced that what Paul is saying here is actually true. That there is an awareness of God that exists everywhere you go. Whether you're overseas in some place that people have never heard the Bible, uh, or whether you're, you're at your workplace where everybody claims not to believe in God, people, whether they admit it or not, there's this awareness of the reality of God. And Paul taps into it. So Paul, the reason he's quoting their uh, their poets and not the Bible is because he's trying to show them, you already know about this God. He's made it plain to you. He's made it clear. Maybe you don't have the Bible. Maybe you don't have the same things that, that, that I do. But God has actually revealed himself to you in a way that you can know. So you are without excuse is what Paul is really getting at. Verse 29, he says, Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked. Which is an interesting statement here, okay? We're going to get into today just how fair God is. But, he, but Paul makes the statement, God overlooks people's ignorance. Okay, this kind of just shows a little bit into how God judges and, and the way he goes about doing that. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So Paul's main point that he's driving home is Jesus Christ really lived, he really died, and God rose him from the dead. Paul actually knew people who were eyewitnesses of Jesus. So he wasn't just saying this and saying, oh, I read this somewhere. He had actually experienced the resurrected Jesus. He, he had experienced him personally, but he knew people that walked and talked uh, with Jesus. Verse 32, now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men... Joined him and believed, among whom were Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So, we're just going to ask three questions today, and this will be uh, there's a slide for this. Uh, what, what about those who do not know God? So, we're talking about God as judge, and I think one of the questions that comes to people's minds when we think about God as judge is well, what about those who don't know God? What about people who have never heard of Him? Uh, and then, what will God's judgment look like? And why should I tell others about God? And the answer to that might surprise you. the The answer to that question, the third one, is what really touched my heart this week in getting ready for this message. Because as I studied this passage, I saw something in there that I'd never seen before, and it and it gets to the motivation of why do we actually tell other people about Jesus? And, and so, those are the the questions we're we're working with, and so. Uh, So for the first question, uh, what about those who do not know God? I just want you to listen again. I'm going to read from the message translation. This will be on the screen of of what we just read. And uh, the message translation, by the way, if you're ever reading the scripture and really trying to understand, I would encourage you to read a few different translations. And the message translation, which is available on the YouVersion Bible app if you don't have an actual paper copy, it's kind of like a commentary, Okay? That's kind of how I explain the message, is that uh, the, Eugene Peterson, the guy that translated it, he, it's like he, he gave a little bit of commentary that gives a deeper understanding into what the scriptures are talking about. And so, um, if that helps you at all in, in why um, you would read something like that, the message, that's, that's been helpful for me. So, uh, let me just start, it's, it's in, uh, it'll be on the screen, verse, verse 22. I'm going to read the middle section of what we just read in this, this translation. So Paul took his stand in the open space at the Areopagus and he laid it out for them. It's plain to see that you Athenians take your religion seriously. When I arrived here the other day, I was fascinated with all the shrines I came across. And then I found one inscribed to the, to the God nobody knows. I'm here to introduce you to this God so that you can worship intelligently and know who you're dealing with. The God who made the world and everything in it This master of sky and land doesn't live in custom-made shrines or need the human race to run errands for him, as if he couldn't take care of himself. He makes creatures. Creatures don't make him. Starting from scratch, he made the entire human race and made the earth hospitable with plenty of time and space for living so we could seek after God and not just grope around in the dark, but actually find him. He doesn't play hide-and-seek with us. He's not remote. He's near. We live and move in him, can't get away from him. One of your poets said it well. We are the God created. Well, if we are the God created, it doesn't make a lot of sense to think that we could hire a sculptor or chisel a God out of stone for us, does it? God overlooks it as long as you don't know any better. But that time is past. The unknown is now known and he's calling for a radical life change. He has set a day when the entire human race will be judged and everything set right. And he has already appointed the judge, confirming him before everyone by raising him from the dead, so this this is really clear. Like when you think about people that don't know God, what Paul is getting at here, he he makes this statement. He says God overlooked uh, those times of ignorance. He and, and when I was growing up, and I heard about God as judge, I actually had a really harsh picture of God in my mind. So may, maybe you don't relate to that. Maybe you've got. A good picture of who God is—you see, you see His compassion, His love, His mercy. But whenever I heard about the judgment of God, I knew all kinds of people that didn't know Jesus, and I just had this image that God was this, this, this really kind of mean being that would judge people that didn't surrender their lives to Jesus and just send them to hell. I had this, this picture of that, and then I had this picture that I was supposed to, like, to go and convince people to give their life to Jesus, and that would save them from God's harsh punishment and judgment. And so I had this, this like, I felt torn in my heart because, like, part of me was like, yeah, God is loving, he's good, but there's this really harsh side of him that I need to protect the people that I love from. So if I knew people that didn't know Jesus, I was like, I need to somehow protect them from this harsh uh, judgment, and and the responsibility falls to me. But what Paul talks about here, God is a judge, that's, that's clear. But what Paul talks about, he, he says something in here that I, I, wanna, I want you to just think about. He goes, God overlooked these times of ignorance. You know that the scripture indicates to us that God doesn't judge people for being born with a sinful nature. That's not. That Jesus comes to take care of that problem. The judgment comes when we've, when we've been given an opportunity to respond to Jesus and reject it. I want you to listen, this will be on the screen, in in Matthew chapter 11, verses 20 to 24, Jesus says something that brings clarity to this issue. Uh, So this is Jesus talking, okay? So then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done. So Jesus, near the end of his ministry, or or the middle, he had done a whole bunch of work in these cities, and he'd he'd proclaimed the word of God, he had had done miracles and, and done incredible things in God's name, but people in those cities rejected Jesus' message, okay? And he began to denounce those cities. But listen to what he says. Um, so, uh, most of his mighty works were where most of them had been done because they did not repent. He says, "'Woe to you, Chorazin! "'Woe to you, Bethsaida! "'For if the mighty works in you had been done in Tyre, or Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And for you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven?' you will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty work done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. So Jesus here, when I, when I stumbled across this in scripture and I realized like, just how fair God is, Jesus says to these towns, so he goes to these towns and he says, I've done miracles here. Like you've literally encountered me, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, and you've rejected me. And so when Jesus is rebuking these towns, he says, on the day of judgment, it's actually going to be better for Sodom and Gomorrah than it will be for you. Now, I, 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 like, growing up, I had no concept that judgment was going to look like that. I figured that there was this, like, there was one judgment for people that knew Jesus and one judgment for people that didn't, and that was all there was, the end of the story. But Jesus says something that just baffled me here. He says to these people, he says, you've been given an opportunity an opportunity to, to receive me, to turn from your wickedness, and you've, you've, like, you've experienced the truth and you've rejected it. So for you, judgment day is going to be more unbearable than it will be for Sodom. And if you're familiar with the biblical story, Sodom and Gomorrah were these like evil, wicked cities in the Old Testament that rejected God for so long that God sent fire down from heaven and burned them up, and there was a harsh judgment from God. But then Jesus is saying here, he's saying, but those cities, when they stand before God on the final day of judgment, it'll be more bearable for them than for those that have been exposed to the truth of who Jesus is. And so the comfort that brought me was like, wow, like God actually takes into consideration like people's exposure to him. So a week and a half or so ago, I was out with uh, Randall. Don't don't tell Randall I talked about him. Alyssa's been so... Whenever I, I, I talk about one of my children and don't ask permission first, I have to give them five dollars. And so, if one of them's downstairs, Alyssa will go and tell them. <laughs> but he doesn't quite understand it. So, anyways, Randall and I—it um, was like a week and a half ago—we were out on a bike ride, and uh, I think Henry is homesick, and so I just took Randall. And we were biking along, and he saw these pylons. Um, so we were biking in one of these places where the city had done a bunch of work. I think I bumped into Patrick in that area one time. It was like by that where the skate park is, uh, Friendship Gardens area. So. We were, uh, we were biking through there, and there was all these pylons, and Randall's four. And so Randall, he had this idea. He's like, Dad, let's go kick over all the pylons, right? <laughs> like, we'll just go, like, kick them over. And I was like, trying to explain to him, like, Randall, that would be, you know, kind of disrespectful. Like, they're trying to guard the area, and, and it's not a good thing to go kick over the pylons. And he's like, okay, and so whatever. We just kept, like, can I go to the skate park? And so we just kept biking. It was fine. But it was like, that conversation, I just got thinking about a child growing up in a different context. So... Imagine now a child growing up in a home where he's exposed to abuse and where he's never taught things that are good and things that are healthy. And what he sees in his home is violence and chaos and just craziness. And so I want you to just imagine, you've got these two, you've got these two children. You've got one that is being taught things that are good and honorable and respectful and one that he's exposed to, to violence and abuse and all these things. And they turn 12, 14 years old. Now I want you to imagine... The, the, the child that's, you know, growing up in a home where he sees violence, he goes and defaces public property. He takes the pylons and he throws them through the windows and smashes things and whatever. Like, defaces public property. Like, the judgment he's going to receive from people is going to be the same uh, that anybody else would receive, right? He's, gonna, he, he's, he's not going to face somebody who's going to see the whole context of his life. But this conversation I had with Randall the other day, I was thinking, you know... Um, he he's he's being taught good things. If he goes and does something incredibly disrespectful, it's it's actually worse because he's been exposed to a good uh, good teaching and good ways of thinking. So for him to do it, it's like he's he's rejecting what he knows is good. Whereas some other child goes and does something like that, and maybe they're just acting on what they've they've seen or experienced in their home. And human judges the way that the way that humans respond to things is we just kind of treat people. A certain way and we don't take everything into consideration. But the scriptures make it clear God actually sees all. I don't know about you, but that's, like, that's been so comforting for me when I think about people standing before God and standing before his judgment. Jesus' words to the cities that were rejecting him comfort me because what he does is he takes into consideration whether or not people have been exposed to truth. And so what about people that don't know God? I don't know exactly what judgment will look like But I'm convinced from the scriptures that God does not judge like a human judge. He's not like the judge that sent uh, Robin Hurricane Carter to prison for 20 years for a crime that he did not commit. God is nothing like that. God actually sees the whole picture. He sees everything. And so for people that have not experienced God or not encountered him, God actually takes that into consideration. And the scriptures indicate to us that uh, his judgment... It, it depends on how much truth we've been exposed to. And so, secondly, uh, what will God's judgment look like? Paul reveals a lot about God in this passage. Um, he reveals that if, you, if you're thinking about the whole passage that we read, he reveals that God is the creator of the universe. God is the sustainer of life. He's the ruler of all nations. He is the father of all humanity, and he is the judge of the world. And God's judgment, and there'll be a slide for this, Andrew. Uh, in, in the section where Paul talks about his judgment, it's very clear that God's judgment is, is three things. It's universal, so every single person that's ever lived on planet Earth will stand before God. It's, it's righteous, okay, which is kind of what I was just touching on. God sees the whole picture. He's completely fair, and it's definite. The scriptures make it really clear there is a day coming where we will stand before God's judgment. It's universal, everyone. It's righteous, and it's definite. Now, uh, what, and I'll put this on the screen, in Acts 17, verse 26 and 27, Paul says this, He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him, and find him. Yet he's actually not far from each of us. So Paul makes it really clear. And then he quotes this poet that was known to the people of, of Athens while he was standing in this Areopagus, this place. Paul is saying to them, he's saying, every single person on planet earth ha- has an awareness of God. And so he quotes some people that were known to them. And I want to um, put a slide up here. It's, it's uh, Michael Jackson. I want to read a couple of... Uh, Verses from this song. Anybody heard the song "Man in the Mirror"? Anybody want to sing it? I think it's. Going to, I'm going to read uh, this section. It'll be hard for me not to try to sing it, but then that would be that would be just terrible. So I want you to listen to these words. Okay. So Michael Jackson. He's a he's a known um, celebrity. Okay. He died a number of years ago, but he was uh, the king of pop. They called him. Okay. He's got all kinds of songs that, if you listen to them long enough, it would probably bother you. Some of the things he talks about and some of the things in his life. Okay. Um, but I just want you to listen to the words in here because it goes along with this this point that all of us are aware of God and if you if you look around and you listen to music long enough non-christian music or non-christian TV you will see that there's an awareness that every single one of us has about God and so this song man in the mirror he says i've been a victim of a selfish kind of love it's time that i realize that there are some with no home not a nickel to loan Could it be really me pretending that they're not alone? And then I'm starting, and this is the course, I'm starting, I'm starting with the man in the mirror, okay? I'm asking him to change his ways. I can't do my, okay? And no message could have been any clearer. If you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and then make that change, okay? Okay? so, I, I don't know, you, I, I heard that song by Michael Jackson, and as a follower of, I'm so, I apologize for that, by the way, for trying to sing that, <laughs> but I, I listen to those lyrics, and he's not a person who openly talked about following Jesus, or who displayed a life of surrender to Jesus, but the reason this song was so popular is it resonated with people, and, and, and it, he's a poet, okay? So, kind of similar to what Paul was doing in the scriptures, I want to point to this poet who we all know, and he's talking about this awareness that something needs to change. I've been a victim of a selfish kind of love. People that don't even know God, people that, are, that want nothing to do with him or want nothing to do with church, there's this awareness that we, there's this selfish kind of love that exists within us and something needs to change. And you know, as I listen to this song, and I've listened to this song by Michael Jackson quite a few times, and, and I like the song and it's kind of fun to like move around to or whatever, but um, he, he actually misses something in it because he puts the responsibility to change on himself. And you know what the gospel says? The, the gospel is a totally different. And whenever you hear people that are aware of God that don't know him or don't follow him, the, the pressure is always on us. You know, if you listen to any false religion or, or, or people that believe in different gods, it's always the same. All these other religions, like the pressure's on us to change, to do something about it, to make a difference. But the gospel is so different because the gospel says, yes, I'm a victim of a selfish kind of love. I'm also a perpetrator. I've also done wrong. And I can't in myself do anything to make a change. That all comes because of a surrendered life to Jesus Christ. So any change in me is because of Jesus you know, some of the people that are the most spiritual people I know that walk close with Jesus, when you go and try to compliment them for what they're doing, they're uncomfortable about it. I had a conversation with someone this morning talking about some of the good things they do and talking about how when people thank them for that, it just makes you feel uncomfortable because you realize you're like, anything good you see in me is not me in and of myself, it's Jesus. So so Michael Jackson's half right. He's talking about there's this, there's this like... Thing in me, that's wrong, and it needs to change. But what he's not getting right is like the only way that change is possible is through a surrendered life to Jesus. It's because of what Christ has done. One more cultural reference. Uh, Vicky and I watched an episode of a show called SWAT recently. Um, and by the way, I'm not necessarily recommending uh, this show, but I wanted to talk about it because it, again, it's like a cultural reference and it, and it's, and it points to the truth of what God says in His Word. And in this episode, it's SWAT. It's a Hollywood uh, show about a, a SWAT team. Uh, they solve crimes, and they go and they, they respond to violent situations. And, but there's a whole drama um, in this episode with the, the characters in it. And so one of the main characters in this show, SWAT, she's in a what's called a polyamorous relationship. Okay, So she's in a relationship with another man and a woman. And there's this, the three of them, and they're in this throuple, Okay, And so throughout this episode, they're talking about this relationship she's in, which is polyamorous. And, and you know what fascinated me about the, the way that they dealt with this issue in the show is it's a Hollywood produced show. Um, you know, they, they definitely don't want to talk about Jesus and what it looks like to follow him. They don't want to talk about God as judge. But in this episode, she was like wrestling with the morality of this relationship that she was in. So some of the people on her team would, would come and they were like, you know what? If it makes you happy to be in this polyamorous relationship with two other people, you should just go for it. As long as you're not hurting anybody, as long as everybody's consensual, it's fine. Just go live your life and, and, and be happy. But there was one person in the episode who was actually a person of faith, and she called this girl out and said, because uh, this, this woman who was in a polyamorous relationship was talking to a child, and she was trying to explain that she has a boyfriend and a girlfriend. And someone called her out on it and said, I'm not comfortable with you trying to tell uh, my child about this. It's not, I, I don't believe it's moral. I don't believe it's right. And so this, this girl got mad and left and there was this whole thing. And I was like watching this episode and I was actually like, I was blessed to see that. Because I, I believe the Bible. I believe where we get our truth is, is what God reveals to us in the scriptures. I don't look for truth in, in, in shows and music. That's not the, the source for truth. But what you see in, in the culture is, is what the scriptures reveal is that God has given every single person an awareness of him. So even in this show that has no desire to glorify or honor God, you've got people that are wrestling with the morality of their sexual relationships. And they're asking questions, is this right? Is it true? And you know what it points to? It points to the reality of God, the creator of the universe, who's created every single one of us, for one, in his image, he's the father of all humanity. And he's put inside of all of us an awareness that there is truth. You know, the the whole issue and topic of sexuality is a pretty hot topic in our world today. And you've got all kinds of takes on it. You've got all kinds of people that say all kinds of things about it. God talks a lot about sexuality and and living um, in our sexuality in a way that honors and pleases him. And most of the world would say that what we Christians believe, what Jesus followers believe about sexuality is, is crazy and it's repressive and it's outdated and it's, it's bigoted and all these different things, right? But what's interesting is, is even, even people that would say those things, there's still this like, this, the, their conscience bothers them because we were created in God's image and we're aware that there actually is truth. We're aware that God actually created us for a purpose, and there's a way to live that honors and glorifies Him. And when we're outside of that, even though we justify it all kinds of ways, we're still aware that there's something wrong. Have you ever noticed? You ever noticed that that if you listen to people long enough, people are always justifying their decisions, their actions, their behavior. Like, I'm not talking about people that know God and follow God. I'm talking about people outside of the church, people that are not Jesus followers. You listen to them long enough, and, and they'll tell you about the way that they're living or whatever, and there's always a justification. They're explaining why they're doing things. And, and the thing for me that I think about when I hear people do that is I'm like, why are you, why are you trying to justify it? Are you trying to prove it to me? Like, what, like, why do you care what I think? But it's because all of us are aware that there really is a God that created us, and he's actually shown us the way that we can live in a way that honors and glorifies him. And when we're outside of that, we're aware of it. And so God's, God's judgment, you put that uh, slide up again, it's a couple back, Andrew. It's, it's universal, it's for all humanity, and we see evidence of that everywhere we look. It's righteous, it's the whole picture, it's completely fair, and it's definite. The day is coming. And, and what I would encourage you, uh, if you're a follower of Jesus today, Maybe you believe this and it's a good reminder. If there's something God is stirring your conscience about, confess it. Come to him. His forgiveness is available to all of us. But maybe if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus and, and you're listening to this and you're like, yeah, I, I do have uh, a conscience and I'm bothered by some things, it's because God gave you that conscience to point you to him. He's a good judge. And, and once you've been exposed to truth, once you've been exposed to Jesus, there's an opportunity to actually come to him, to surrender, to make things right with God. But the scriptures are clear. There's a day when it's too late. There's all kinds of examples in the scripture of people that were given an opportunity to surrender to Jesus, to confess their sins, to make things right with God, and they refused to do so, and it was too late. You know, that's, that's, a, that's a sobering thought. But there's a day coming that is definite where we will stand before God the judge and he will look at our lives and he sees everything and there's going to be people that it was too late. There was an opportunity to repent, to confess, to make things right with God and they said, no, but no one can judge me. I'm gonna do things my way. I'm gonna live my life the way that I want and they didn't do it and it's too late. And so the, the, the message of the gospel is, look at what Jesus has done. Regardless of what you've, you've done, regardless of what sins you've committed, regardless of what things you know, you've, you've seared your conscience with, there is an opportunity to surrender and make things right with God. Do it now. When God makes himself clear to you, when you come to realize who he is, surrender. Come to him. Receive the forgiveness. Because there is a day when it's too late. And then lastly, uh, why should I tell others about God, And this is the part that really, I guess, stung my heart in a good way. In verse, uh, this will be on the screen, in verse 16 of what we read, it says, Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. That, that word, provoked, comes from a Greek word, paroxino, and it's, the word, it's where we get our word paroxysm. And it basically means, uh, it's, it's, it can be a medical term that means to have a seizure or an epileptic fit, but it also means to irritate and provoke and rouse to anger. So Paul, and this is how I want to, to end this, and I just want you to really catch this because this is, this is what I think God just convicted me in a deep way um, this week as I read this and prepared for this message because I, I understood a little bit more why Paul was so passionate. So that word, his, uh, it says that his, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw these false idols. So he's walking around Athens, and he sees all of these things that people are worshiping. Okay? The God of uh, the sun, Apollo, and, and Ares, the God of war, and Athena, and the God of wisdom, all these different ones. And, and he's seeing this, and his spirit is provoked within him. I want you to think about today. What are some of the gods we see that people worship today in our culture? Gods of success and gods of sexuality, and gods of money, and whatever it is. Like, you, you fill it in. There's things that we just chase after that we long for. The reason Paul was deeply bothered by watching the people worship these false gods, there was this jealousy in him. If you, if you study out where this, this word comes from and what Luke was getting at, he was saying there was this jealousy because Paul looked at the people. He saw them, and he was like, they were created to honor and glorify Jesus. And and the reason this this really touched my heart this week is because going back to what I said at the beginning, I like growing up I had this I had encountered God as a young person, but I really wrestled with my view of God. I wrestled with this, I just had this idea in mind that that God was this angry, mean judge that I had to save my friends from. And and part of the reason, and I started telling people about Jesus at a young age. And so I would see somebody who didn't know Jesus. And I would just, like, jump in and try to tell them about God, partially because I was afraid of what would happen for them if they faced God, okay? And that's not a bad motivation. That's not wrong to want people to encounter God. But that's not what's going on in Paul. That's not the reason why Paul was so motivated to tell people about God. He was actually, he saw people, and he, his desire from deep within his spirit, deep within his being, he was like, I want people to to glorify God because that's the only reason worth living like to glorify and honor Jesus and so he saw people and he said I like you guys are you guys are like worshipping these false idols he wasn't motivated first and foremost, by like, oh, I don't want you to face judgment. It was more like, no, God is the only being worthy of worship and glory and adoration. He's the only one worthy of all of our praise. He's the only one worthy of sacrificing and giving your life to, and you're giving your lives to these false gods that aren't even real, that don't satisfy. So for him, it was greater than just, I want to save you from God's judgment. Paul talked about judgment, but he was like, no, I, w-, like, I want you to encounter the real living awesome, all-powerful, beautiful God. And to give your life to any other false God, false idea of God is just, it's worthless. It's, it's meaningless. And, and uh, John Stott has a quote, I'm going to put it up on the screen, and he talks about this motivation in Paul. And John Stott, for those of you who don't know, um, he's a Bible scholar, and he's written a lot of commentaries on the scripture. He says, But the highest incentive of all is zeal or jealousy for the glory of Jesus Christ. God has promoted him, Jesus, to the supreme place of honor in order that every knee and tongue should acknowledge his lordship. Whenever he is denied his rightful place in people's lives, therefore, we should feel inwardly wounded and jealous for his name. So Paul, his motivation in this passage is he was going, like, I want you guys to actually give honor and glory to God. And it's clear that Paul, uh, he knew that when people stand before God, he wasn't afraid of God being unfair or unkind. He, he He knew in his heart of hearts that everybody who stands before God, when they face his judgment... Like, it's going to be fair. It is going to be righteous. It's going to be good. He wasn't afraid that God was going to somehow be unfair in the way that he meets out judgment. Paul knew that. It was settled in his heart. He wasn't afraid of, of God being unfair. He desired from a deep place within his heart for people to actually encounter the living God and to give him the glory and the praise and the honor that he is due. That was his, that was his motivation. Um, I'm going to invite the team to come up. And, and uh, my, my prayer this week. So when I, when I realized Paul's motivation in that, I was like, my, my prayer was, God, I just I want to have the same desire in my heart. When I look around Thunder Bay, um, I was telling you a few weeks ago, driving back from New Brunswick, uh, we, we drove two ways. So we drove on the 17 and then we drove back on the 11. And so I got to do the whole loop of Northern Ontario. And I just saw all these towns and all these cities that are kind of forgotten. From the, by the rest of Ontario. You know, if you've ever driven through northern Ontario, um, I think there's a common feeling here in this part of the, the uh, province where it's like we're sort of forgotten from the south, okay? Maybe maybe you've felt that being in northern Ontario where it's just like it's kind of isolated and, and people that don't live here don't fully understand, you know, what it's like to live here. And uh, and I was driving along and I was just thinking about all the... There's, there's probably about a million people between Kenora and Mattawa and there's so many places that don't have churches where people gather to worship God. And there's hundreds of thousands of people in northern Ontario that just don't have an awareness of who God is. And and I was like struck by Paul's motivation in this passage where he, he looked around and he saw all the things people were worshipping all these false idols and he was provoked there was this jealousy in his heart where he's like God is the only one worthy of worship and you're giving, all, you're, you're, you're giving your whole life to, to success and to wealth and to image and to you know sexuality and individualism and whatever it was, he's like, you're giving all this stuff and it's, it's all meaningless because there's this one true God and he's the only one worthy of praise and worship and adoration and so from this place of passion he preaches this power sermon to these people that didn't know the scriptures and he says, guys, wake up. You're all aware of God. You all have this, this, this conviction in your hearts. You're all aware of, of where you've gone wrong and where you've messed up. God's given you that. Turn your hearts to him. Worship him. And so as, as we pray to close, I just uh, maybe, maybe God's speaking to you and there's something you want to pray and, and confess. Uh, but I also just want to, as we close with these last couple songs, just be praying for, for Thunder Bay for Northern Ontario, pray for people that you know who don't know Jesus, that, that they would encounter him, that they would come to a realization that, that God is worthy, that God is true, and that they would surrender their lives to him. Let's just stand and uh, I'll, I'll pray and then we'll sing these last couple songs. Lord, I just I thank you for your word. Um, Lord, it is a sobering realization to know that you are judge. The scriptures make it clear, Jesus, that, that you are judge and all of us will stand before you. It's also clear that we will all be given an opportunity to encounter you, to surrender our lives to you. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you, Lord, that um, you, are, you are kind and gracious. But Lord, we also know that you are judge, and if you're bringing up anything in our lives, anything sinful that needs to be confessed, I pray that you give us the boldness to do that. And then help us, Lord, to receive your grace and to receive the, the filling of your Holy Spirit to empower us to live in a way that glorifies you. Lord, and then we think of uh, people in, in our neighborhood and in Thunder Bay and in northern Ontario that have not encountered you. We think of all the false idols, all the things that people spend their lives thinking about and meditating on and getting wound up about, Lord. All the, all these things that that are, are temporary. And Lord, just like Paul, he was, there was this jealousy evoked within him. He wanted the people that he loved to know you. He wanted them to glorify you, to worship you, to give you the praise and the honor that you're, that you're due. And God, I just pray for uh, for our neighborhood, our city. I pray for Northern Ontario, Lord, that, that there would be uh, an increased awareness of you. We know that people are aware of you. People's consciences are, are alive and at work, as we talked about. And I pray, God, that people would, would actually lean into what you're telling them as their consciences uh, indicate to them that they're off base in some way and that people would turn to you. Lord, we just pray for Northern Ontario. We pray that you would be at work in powerful ways and reveal yourself. And God, I just pray that you would be at work in each one of us, that even as we go from this place and go from this place of worship, that we would be just so filled up with you that it would spill over into our conversations with other people. That, Lord, we we, we would know, we don't have to be afraid of of your judgment because of you being unfair in some way. You are totally fair. When you judge, it is going to be right. There is no mistake. And I pray that we would be motivated to tell people about you uh, with a desire to see them honor you and glorify you, and, and, and a, a desire to see them um, experience your life change and forgiveness so that they don't face your judgment. We love you, God. We worship you. We honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. As always, the altars are open. If you want to come pray while we sing these last couple of songs.